Section 18, Volume 2 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Filippo Joaquin. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2, Section 18. When it was the fifty-second night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Princess Abriza said to the black slave Algasban, It remaineth for me only that I yield me to negro slaves, after having refused kings and braves. And she was wroth with him, and cried, Woe to thee! What words are these thou sayest? Out on thee, and talk not thus in my presence and know that I will never consent to what thou sayest. Though I drink the cup of death, wait till I have cast my burden, and am delivered of the afterbirth, and then, if thou be able thereto, do with me as thou wilt. But, and thou leave not lewd talk at this time, assuredly I will slay myself with my own hand, and be at peace from all this and she began reciting extempore. O oh, spare me, thou Gazvan, indeed enow for me, are heavy strokes of time, mischief and misery. Pardon, my lord, for fence to all humanity, quoth he, who breaks my bidding, hell for home shall see. And if thou live not suing me to Hordon's way, against the almighty choicest gift my chastity, Upon my tribesmen I with might and main will call, And gather all, however far or near they be. And with Yamani blade, were I in peace hewn, Never shall he sight my face, who makes for villainy, The face of freeborn come of noble folk and brave, What then can be to me the seed of whoreson's slave? When Gazban heard these lines, he was wroth exceedingly. His eyes reddened with blood, and his face became a dusty gray. His nostrils swelled, his lips protruded, and the repulsiveness of his aspect redoubled. And he repeated these couplets. O thou, Abriza, mercy, leave me not, for I, of thy love and Yamani glance the victim lie. My heart is cut to pieces by thy cruelty, My body wasted, and my patience done to die. From glances ravishing all hearts with witchery, Reason far flies, the wild desire to thee draws nigh. Though at thy call should armies fill the face of earth, Even now I'd win my wish, and words in arms defy. When Abriza heard these words, she wept with sore weeping, and said to him, Woe to thee, O Gazban! How dareth the like of thee to address me such demand, O base-born and obscene-bred? Dost thou deem all folk are alike? When the vile slave heard this from her, he waxed more enraged, and his eyes grew redder, and he came up to her, and smiting her with a sword on her neck, wounded her to her death. Then he drove her horse before him with a treasure, and made off with himself to the mountains. 
such was the case with Algasban. But as regards Abriza, she gave birth to a son like the moon. And Marjanah took the babe and did him the necessary offices and laid him by his mother's side. And lo and behold, the child fastened to its mother's breast and she died. When Marjanah saw this, she cried out with a grievous cry and rent her raiment and cast dust on her head and buffeted her cheeks till flood flowed, saying, Alas, my mistress, alas, the pity of it, thou art dead by the hand of a worthless black slave after all thy knightly prowess. And she ceased not weeping when suddenly a great cloud of dust arose and walled the horizon. But after a while it lifted and discovered a numerous conquering host. Now this was the army of King Ardub, Princess Abrizah's father, and the cause of his coming was that when he heard of his daughter and her handmaids had been fled to Baghdad, and that they were with King Omar bin al-Numan, he had come forth, leading those with him, to seek tidings of her from travellers, who might have seen her with the king. When he had gone a single day's march from his capital, he espied three horsemen afar off, and made towards them, intending to ask whence they came, and seek news of his daughter. Now these three whom he saw at the distance were his daughter and Marjanah, and the slave Al-Ghazban, and he made for them to push inquiry. Seeing this, the villain Black Moor feared for himself, so he killed Abriza and fled for his life. When they came up, King Ardub saw his daughter lying dead, and Marjanah weeping over her, and he threw himself off his steed, and fell fainting to the ground. All the riders of his company, the emirs and waxiers, took foot, and forthright pitched their tents on the mountain, and set up for the king a great pavilion, domed and circular, without which stood the grandees of the realm. When Marjanah saw her master, she at once recognized him, and her tears redoubled. And when he came to himself, he questioned her, and she told him all that had passed, and said, Of a truth, he that hath slain thy daughter is a black slave belonging to King Omar bin Anuman. And she informed him how Sharkan's father had dealt with the princess. When King Hardub heard this, the word grew black in his sight, and he wept with sore weeping. Then he called for a litter, and therein lay in his dead daughter, returned to Caesarea, and carried her into the palace, where he went in to his mother, Zat al-Dawahi, and said to that lady of calamities, Shall the Muslim deal thus with my girl? Verily, King Omar bin al-Numan despoiled her of her honor by force, and after this one of his black slaves slew her. By the truth of the Messiah, I will assuredly take blood revenge for my daughter, and clear away from mine honor the stain of shame. Else will I kill myself with mine own end. And he wept passing sore.
quoth his mother, none other than Marjana killed thy daughter, for she hated her in secret. And she continued to her son, Fret not for taking the blood wit of thy daughter, for by the truth of the Messiah I will not turn back from King Omar bin al-Uman till I have slain him and his sons. And of a very truth I will do with him a deed, passing the power of sage and knight, whereof the chroniclers shall tell chronicles in all countries and in every place. But needs must thou do my bidding in all I shall direct, for whoso be firmly set on the object of his desire shall surely compass his desire. By the virtue of the Messiah, replied he, I will not cross thee in aught thou shalt say. Then quoth she, Bring me a number of handmaids, high-bosomed virgins, and summon the wise men of the age, and let them teach them philosophy, and the rules of behavior before kings, and the art of conversation, and making verses, and let them talk with them of all manner science and edifying knowledge. And the sages must be Muslims, that they may teach them the language and traditions of the Arabs, together with the history of the Caliphs and the ancient annals of the kings of Al-Islam. And if we persevere in this for four years' space, we shall gain our case. So possess thy soul in patience and wait, for one of the Arabs saith, If we take man boat after years forty the time were short to ye. When we have taught the girls these things, we shall be able to work our will with our folk. For he doteth on women, and he hath three hundred and sixty concubines, whereto are now added an hundred of the flowers of thy handmaidens, who were with thy daughter, she that had found mercy. As soon as I have made an end of their education, as described to thee, I will take them and set out with them in person. When King Ardub heard his mother's words, he rejoiced and arose and kissed her head, and at once dispatched the messengers and couriers to lend sundry and manifold to fetch him Muslim sages. They obeyed his commands and fared to far countries, and thence brought him the sages and the doctors he sought. When these came into presence, he honored them with notable honors, and bestowed dresses on them, and appointing to them stipends and allowances, and promised them much money, whenas they should have taught the damsels. Then he committed the handmaidens to their hands. And Shirazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the fifty-third night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the sages and the doctors stood in the presence of King Hardub, he honored them with notable honors, and committed the handmaidens to their hands, enjoying that these be instructed in all manner of knowledge, philosophy, and polite accomplishments, and they set themselves to do his bidding. Such was the case with King Ardub, but as for King Omar bin al-Uman, 
when he returned from coursing and hunting and entered his palace he sought princess abriza but found her not nor any one knew of her nor could any give him news of her this was grievous to him and he said how could a lady leave the palace unknown to any had my kingdom been at stake in this case it were in perilous condition there being none to govern it i will never again go to sport and hunt till i have stationed at the gates those who shall keep good guard over them and he was sore waxed and his breast was straitened for the loss of princess abriza hereupon behold his son sharkan returned from his journey and the father told him what had happened and informed him how the lady had fled whilst he was chasing and hunting whereat he grieved with exceeding grief then king omar took to visiting his children every day and making much of them and brought them learned men and doctors to teach them appointing for them stipends when sharkan saw this he raged with exceeding rage and envied thereupon his brother and sister till the signs of chagrin appeared on his face and he ceased not to languish by reason of this matter so one day his father said to him why do i see thee grown weak in body and yellow in face o my father replied sharkan every time i see thee fondle my brother and sister and make much of them jealousy seizeth me and i fear lest it grow on me till i slay them and thou slay me in return and this is the reason of my weakness of body and change of complexion but now i crave of thy favour that thou give me one of thy castles outlying the rest that i may abide there the remnant of my life for as the sayer of bywords saith absence from my friend is better and fitted for me and whatso i doth not perceive that gareth not hard to grieve and he bowed his head towards the ground when king omar bin al-numan heard these words and knew the cause of his ailment and of his being broken down he soothed his heart and said to him o my son i grant thee this and i have not in my reign a greater than the castle of damascus and the government of it is thine from this time thereupon he forthright summoned his secretaries of state and bade them write sharkan's patent of investiture to the viceroyalty of damascus of syria and when they had written it he equipped him and sent with him the wazir dandan and invested him with the rule and government and gave him instructions as to policy and regulations and took leave of him and the grandees and officers of state did likewise and he set out with his host when he arrived at damascus the townspeople beat the drums and blew the trumpets and decorated the city and came out to meet him in great state whilst all the notables and grandees paced in procession and those who stood to the right of the throne 
walked on his right flank, and the others to his left. Thus far concerning Sharkan. But as regards his father, Omar bin al-Numan, soon after the departure of his son, the children's tutors and governors presented themselves before him and said to him, O our Lord, thy children have now learned knowledge, and they are completely versed in the rules of manners and the etiquette of ceremony. The king rejoiced thereat with exceeding joy, and conferred bountiful largesse upon the learned man, seeing Zaw al-Makan grown up and flourishing and skilled in horsemanship. The prince had reached the age of fourteen, and he occupied himself with piety and prayers, loving the poor, the ulema, and the Koran students, so that all the people of Baghdad loved him, men and women. One day the procession of the Mahmil of Iraq passed round Baghdad before its departure for the pilgrimage to Mecca and visitation of the tomb of the Prophet, whom Allah bless and preserve. When Zaw al-Makan, the Mamil procession, he was seized with longing desire to become a pilgrim. So he went in to his sire and said, I come to ask thy leave to make the pilgrimage. But his father forbade him, saying, Wait till next year, and I will go, and thou too. When the prince saw that the matter was postponed, he betook himself to his sister Nusat al-Zaman, whom he found standing at prayer. As soon as she had handed her devotions, he said to her, I am dying with desire of pilgrimage to the holy house of Allah at Mecca, and to visit the tomb of the Prophet, upon whom be peace. I asked my father's leave, but he forbade me that. So I mean to take privily somewhat of money and set out on the pilgrimage without his knowledge. Allah upon thee, exclaimed she, take me with thee and deprive me not of visitation to the tomb of the Prophet, whom Allah bless and keep. And he answered, As soon as it is dark night, do thou come forth from this place without telling any. Accordingly, when it was the middle of the night, she arose and took somewhat of money and donned a man's habit, and she ceased not walking to the palace gate, where she found Zaw al-Makan with camels ready for marching. So he mounted and mounted her, and the two fared dawn till they were in the midst of the Iraqi pilgrim party, and they ceased not marching, and Allah wrought safety for them till they entered Mecca, the holy, and stood upon Arafat, and performed the pilgrimage rites. Then they made a visitation to the tomb of the Prophet, whom Allah blessed and assain, and thought to return with the pilgrims to their native land. But Zaw al-Makan said to his sister, O my sister, it is in my mind to visit the holy house, Jerusalem, and Abraham, the friend of Allah, on whom be peace. I also desire so to do, replied she. So they agreed upon this, and he fared forth and took passage for himself and her, and they made ready and set out in the ship with a company of Jerusalem palmers. 
that very night the sister fell sick of an anguish chill and was grievously ill but presently recovered after which the brother also sickened she tended him during his malady and they ceased not wayfaring till they arrived at jerusalem but the fever increased on him and he grew weaker and weaker they alighted at Akan, and there hired a lodging but zau al-makan's sickness ceased not to increase on him till he was wasted with leanness and became delirious at this his sister was greatly afflicted and exclaimed there is no majesty and there is no might save in allah the glorious the great this is the decree of allah they sojourned in that place a while his weakness ever increasing and she attending him and buying necessaries for him and for herself till all the money she had was expended and she became so poor that she had not so much as a dirham left then she sent a servant of the khan to the bazaar with some of her clothes and he sold them and she spent the price upon her brother then sold she something more and she ceased not selling all she had piece by piece till nothing was left but an old rug whereupon she wept and exclaimed verily is allah the order of the past and the future presently her brother said to her o my sister i feel recovery drawing near and my heart longeth for a little roast meat by allah o my brother replied she i have no face to beg but to-morrow i will enter some rich man's house and serve him and earn somewhat for our living then she bethought herself a while and said of a truth tis hard for me to leave thee and thou in this state but i must despite myself he rejoined allah forbid thou wilt be put to shame but there is no majesty and there is no might save in allah and he wept and she wept too and she said o my brother we are strangers who have dwelt here a full year but none hath yet knocked at our door shall we then die of hunger i know no resource but that i go out and do service and earn somewhat to keep us alive till thou recover from thy sickness when we will travel back to our native land she sat weeping a while and he wept too propped upon his elbow then nuzhat al-zaman arose and veiling her head with a bit of camlet which had been of the camelier's clothes and which the owner had forgotten and left with them she kissed the head of her brother and embraced him and went forth from him weeping and knowing not whither she should wend and she stinted not going and her brother zau al-makan awaiting her return till the supper time but she came not and he watched for her till the morning morrowed but still she returned not and this endured till two days went by he was greatly troubled thereat and his heart fluttered for her and hunger was sore upon him 
At last he left the chamber, and calling the servant of the caravanserai, said, I wish thee to bear me to the bazaar. So he carried him to the market street, and laid him down there. And the people of Jerusalem gathered round him, and were moved to tears, seeing his condition. He signed to them, begging for somewhat to eat. So they brought him some money from certain of the merchants who were in the bazaar, and bought food and fed him therewith, after which they carried him to a shop, where they spread him a mat of palm leaves, and set an ewer of water at his head. When night fell, all the folk went away, sore concerned for him, and in the middle of the night he called to mind his sister, and his sickness redoubled on him, so that he abstained from eating and drinking, and became insensible to the world around him. Then the bazaar people arose, and took for him from the merchants thirty-seven dirhams, and hiring a camel, said to the driver, Carry this sick man to Damascus, and leave him in the hospital, haply he may be cured and recover health. On my head be it, replied the camel man, but he said to himself, How shall I take this sick man to Damascus, and he nigh upon death? So he carried him away to a place, and hid with him till the night, when he threw him down on the ash heap near the fire-hole of a hammam, and went his way. When morning dawned, the stalker of the bath came to his work, and finding Zaw al-Makan cast on his back, exclaimed, Why did they not throw their dead body anywhere but here? So saying, he gave him a kick, and he moved. Whereupon quoth the fireman, Some one of you who hath eaten a bit of hashish, and hath thrown himself down, in whatso place it be. Then he looked at his face, and saw his hairless cheeks, and his grace and comeliness. So he took pity on him, and knew that he was sick and a stranger in the land. And he cried, There is no majesty, and there is no might, save in Allah. Verily, I have sinned against this youth, for indeed the Prophet, whom Allah bless and keep, enjoineth honor to the stranger, more especially when the stranger is sick. Then he carried him home, and went in with him to his wife, and bade her tend him. So she spread him a sleeping rug, and set a cushion under his head, then warmed water for him, and washed therewith his hands and feet and face. Meanwhile the stalker went to the market, and bought some rose water and sugar, and sprinkled Zawal Makan's face with the water, and gave him to drink of the sherbet. Then he fetched a clean shirt and put it on him. With this, Zawal Makan sniffed the zephyr of health, and recovery returned to him. And he sat up and leaned against the pillow. Hereat, the fireman rejoiced and exclaimed, Praise be to Allah for the welfare of his youth. O Allah, I beseech thee by thy knowledge of hidden things, 
that thou make the salvation of this youth to be at my hands. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased to say her permitted say. End of section 18 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2 Recording by Filippo Joachim